right, good deal. Hey, um, if you want to take your Bibles, look at John, uh, James chapter 4, verse number 1. And uh, Brother Jim just gave me, Jim Lindsay gave me a good sermon er- introduction tonight and, in an inadvertent way. Um, we were chatting, and he said he'd send me some emails, which I didn't get, and turned out he's turned them to send them to Judy and not to me. Um, but he said, I sent you a scripture, and it was Psalm 11. Hang on a second. Get back over there. There we go. Psalm eleven two, um, and it says, "No, it's not Psalm eleven two. Here, I'm just saying. Uh, here we go. Eleven three. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Isn't that good? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that was." Actually, it's been the thrust of the entire message series, if you think about it. But this morning, it was really on target for that. You know, as the, as the foundations of our culture are imploding around us, what can the righteous do? And the answer, of course, in case you forget, have forgotten, is we can be righteous. That's, you know, the power of righteousness is when God's people, godly people, live out righteousness in in our culture. That's the power um, of that. Now, with that comes the idea of <laughs> what should the righteous not do? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We talk about this morning what we should do, and tonight we're going to talk about what the righteous should not do. And boy, James, again, the half-brother of Jesus, James chapter 4, really, really, really opens up. Now, I want you to kind of remember, let me just reflect your memory just a little bit. In um, Psalm 33, verses 1 through 5, we talked about the language of warfare. I didn't use that term this morning. Um, the language of warfare is worship. Is worship in that you know when the people go by our church and when the people see our lives, it's important what they see is something godly. And there's something again, authentic worship is so godly. It's so godly, and so so it's very important that people see godliness, no matter if it's at, at McDonald's or barbecue barn or. 400 feet underground, or if it's at the school districts, wherever it might be, or at church, wherever it is, that the righteousness of God shine forth, okay? And it's a dangerous thing for our culture when that doesn't happen, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a prime example tonight of what righteousness does not look like. We actually have two videos tonight in the sermon. Okay? All right, Dave, hit that beautiful bean footage. Robert Braxton was shot and killed attending a church service this past Sunday at Keystone Fellowship Church in Pennsylvania. The 27-year-old was shot by another churchgoer, Mark Storms, who was 46 and claimed self-defense. Witnesses say Braxton started causing a fuss over the seat, and when a church member tapped him on the shoulder to move, he shouted, Don't blank touch me. Then an usher and pastor were soon able to calm him down. The situation soon turned violent when gun-toting Storms, holding the weapon in his hand, flashed a concealed weapons permit badge and told Braxton to get out. Witnesses then recall Braxton saying, what are you going to do, shoot me? And then punching Storms. Storms then shoots Braxton in the chest and right arm. The gunman was arrested and charged with voluntary manslaughter and reckless endangerment. Yeah, it's almost too funny to be true, isn't it? I mean, they actually shoot somebody in church. Again, if I, of course, I, I, you know, my, I'm so naive. I'm shocked the guy cussed in church. 
<laughs> yeah, more than they got shot. I'm, I'm, you know, what the blank, you know this. But isn't it funny when it said, you know, move, get out of my chair? Like, we would never do that at Dorisville, you know, would we? You know, get out of my chair. You know, we would never do that. So, so it's amazing what should not happen then is that we should never have what James talks about in verse number 1 of James 4. And here's what he says. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? What are the source? Where is this coming from, these, these wars and fights among you? And don't they come from passions that wage war within you? In other words, in other words James is saying, and, I, and from my perspective, James is saying that we get so wrapped up in us, okay, that a war develops within us. You know, I'm, I keep saying over and over again, when church becomes more about you than it does about others and God, we are in deep weeds. That's why, in case you ever wonder why, um, you know, why the pastor, after 19 years with you, still believes so much in missions, so much in local mission projects. I love someone came up this morning to me and said, okay, I got it. What are we going to do next? You know, and he goes, she goes, you know, we, we, we don't do something in the park. I said, aha, we got one scheduled. September 29th, we're doing something in the park. You know, we can reach out and love on these people. Love on these people. That's what we need to do. And the reason I believe so much in that is because as long as we're looking outward, we're not looking inward because it's when we start looking inward that we get in trouble. Churches fuss and churches fight when we start looking inward. And James is saying the source, I believe he's saying, the source of the wars and the fights among this group of believers he's writing to is the passions, the, the, it's my rights and it's my privileges that wage war within you. Okay? Now, how does that even happen? Well, the, the good news is, I don't know, and neither did Paul. I really appreciate this. I wrote down, we're going to go to Romans chapter 7 and look at 19, 20, and 21. And, and it's just amazing when you look at it. Now, you'd expect this out of a lot of people, but not Paul. Not Paul, the zealous uh, man of God. But here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. I want to do what is good. I want to do what is good, but I don't. But I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. But I do anyway. Anyone have this? Anyone? Anyone will be honest? And I, I will. You know, I will. And, you know, I, I want to do what's, what's right, but I end up doing what's wrong. And, and I, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. Verse 20. But if I do what, is, what I really don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. He says, it's that old stinking sin nature. It's the sin living in me that does it. And then he says in verse 21... I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Amen? I love God's law within all my heart, but there is another power within me. Now listen carefully. There's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And that's, that's the crux right there. I honestly believe that's the crux. There's a war. Satan knows what to attack. And Satan attacks our mind. 
our mind. If he can get us thinking again, it's, it's all me, it's, it's what I want that really matters, I'm the center of the universe. Um, if he can get us convinced that we're a failure and have always been a failure and will always be a failure, that nothing could ever change that, there's no sense trying something different, trying something new, uh, believing that God can do a great work through me because of past failures. If he can get us convinced of that, then that's exactly how we're going to live. So he says, there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now notice, you know, understand, when Jesus died for you, okay, and you received that by faith, you are free from the bondage of sin. Okay, uh, I believe Donnie is the one that sings a song and it says, I'm fighting battles that's always been won. The victory over sin is ours, but so often we're convinced that it's not. And that's exactly how we live. Now, I got four examples from scriptures um, living out James 4.1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Where does that come from? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So I'm not saying all these people were believers, but they are in the Bible, okay? And, of course, the first one we might start at the beginning, okay, is Cain. It's Cain. Look at, if you want to, I'll read it to you. <coughs> Excuse me. James chapter 4, uh, it's James. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, and then verse number 8. James 4, 3 through 5 and 8. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented... Some. Now, I want you to, again, I think this is important. Notice that Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Okay? So, put that word, some of his crops, over here. All right? Then, verse 4, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Do you see the difference? Well, there's two major ones. Cain, okay, now, now again, we, we must, we, and I don't use the word assume, but I will. We must assume that there was an instruction from God about what kind of sacrifice to offer, okay? When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God provided a blood sacrifice for the skins that covered their nakedness, okay? That was no accident. That was no accident. So we're, t- we're going to safely assume that there was a command from God that a blood sacrifice be offered. So the first difference is Cain brings of his produce. Okay? Abel brings the blood sacrifice. Okay? Cain brings some and Abel brings the best. There's a huge difference there. If you want to know why God... Why didn't God accept Cain? Because it was disobedience. It was not the blood sacrifice. But also, it was not... It was just some of what he had. It wasn't the best that he had. All right? So, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain angry. And he looked dejected. Now, we're going to skip down to verse number 8. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. What was the source of war? The source of war was jealousy. The source of war was jealousy. Cain was so jealous over the fact that Abel was accepting he wasn't, he ends up killing his brother. Now, I always find the second one very intriguing. Because all of us probably 
hold Paul in such high esteem, um, you know, because, again, God used him to write about two-thirds of the, of the New Testament. Um, basically, you know, Paul said, okay, you guys go win the Jews and, and I'll win the rest of the world. You know, he kind of said that, you know, and did that, okay? We are Christians today because of the writings of Paul and the ministries of Paul, the mission trips of Paul to the Gentiles. So that's one reason why we have the gospel today. But, but so we see now a very human side. We see it in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's praying to God about the, uh, the thorn in his flesh thing. But we also see it right here. I, and again, this is pretty good. This is Acts fifteen thirty six. So after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Isn't that a great idea? Come on, come on, come on. Y'all are talking. Isn't that a great idea? What a great idea. You know, he turns to his ministry partner. They had traveled so long before. Hey, let's go back to where we preach the word. Let's check on the new believers and just see how they're doing. What a great idea. Okay. Well, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Okay. That seems innocent enough until you start getting a little history. But Paul disagreed disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in their work. So so here we have the situation. Paul says, a great idea. Hey, Barnabas, let's go visit, okay, where we've been before. And Barnabas, now it's interesting, by the way, because this is what gets us in trouble sometimes. Personalities. Personalities. How we're wired, okay? Barnabas, y'all remember what Barnabas' name means? encourager encourager barnabas would have been the mercy guy you know you know barnabas would have been the guy if you fall down he'll pick you up and dust you off and love on you that was barnabas and honestly paul was a zealot paul you know i'm sure whatever he thought god said when he stood in line for mercy genes it wasn't mercy i'm not sure what he thought it meant because Paul had very few mercy genes, okay? So we see a personality deal. We have a guy who instantly says, Hey, I, I, I'm the guy of third chances. Let's give old John Mark another chance. And Paul strictly said no. No. He failed. He deserted us in our hour of need. No second chances. Which really, it's, for a guy who knows grace and wrote about grace and understood grace, really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Which is kind of strange because that fits with James. When he says, Where's, what's the source of this? Where's this coming from? Okay. Well, so anyway, so, so he, Paul did one, give John Mark a second chance. Okay. So verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp. So this was not a, well, listen, dude, if that's, you know, let's just go our separate ways. Okay. There was a very strong disagreement that they separated and Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Okay, so so we have two great men of God wired. And by the way, you want to know why sometimes there's conflict in the church? It's not doctrinal. It's just personalities. And personalities are one thing. Aren't you glad we're not all alike? Would you like to be like me? Ah! Okay, all right. So sometimes conflict in the church is called by... Hey, sometimes conflict in marriages is caused by personality types. Okay? So it's very important. Now, here's the... You want the good news? I'm not going to you say yes. yes. Oh, thank you. Very much. Okay, yes. Okay, well, here's the good news. They later made amends. 
Okay, I love this. You know, Paul later wrote about John Mark. He's profitable for me for the ministry. So, so, Paul, so Paul made that right decision to reconcile, of course, with Barnabas, yes, but bigger than that, with John Mark. But where did that come from? It came probably from their personality types. Okay, totally, totally different. Then this guy, there's great debate whether Saul, now we're back in the Old Testament, if Saul was even a believer, you know, will Saul be in heaven? I guess we'll find out when we get there. Okay, but in 1 Samuel 18, 16 through 9, we see another type of conflict. Okay, and this one is, is caused by also by jealousy. So, you know, Goliath is dead. His head's been cut off. Little David's got the head, and it's all great. And the army's coming back. You know, when they killed Goliath, all the soldiers ran, and the Israelites chased it after them, and they won the big battle, okay? So when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came... I'm sorry, the women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang, and they danced for joy with tambourines... And symbols. Verse 7. This was their song. If I was really good tonight, I'd do a rap for you, but we're not going to do it. Saul has killed his thousands. Now, that sounds good. But David, his ten thousands. So here is King Saul, who's like insecure, okay? And he's, you know, he's, he's hearing... You know, Saul has killed his thousands, and that sounded really good, okay, until this little, probably 16 years old, you know, maybe 12, but probably 16, you know, kid is getting, and David's killed 10,000s, and the jealousy just exploded in him, okay? This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. And so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. In other words, literally, Saul was consumed with jealousy. It owned him. So what was the source there? Pure jealousy. Pure jealousy. And then let's jump up one more time to the New Testament. Okay? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Ladies, this is, this is yours. Okay? Now, there's a situation going on. And in Philippians 4, 2 and 3, Paul is writing and says, Now I appeal to Eodia and Sentiki. Now, aren't you glad that's not your name? And, you know, hey, Mary, yes, Sentiki, you know, or yes, Eodia, you know, what can I do for you today? Well, now I appeal to Eodia and Sentiki, please, because you belong to the Lord Settle your disagreement. So a couple of ladies in the church had gotten into a fight. Okay? We, we don't even know, Bob. We don't know what the fight was about. But it was enough where it's recorded in God's word that Paul, writing to the Philippian church, says, Come on, ladies. Please settle your disagreement. You know why? There's a bigger thing going on. And that's this whole deal, by the way. The bigger thing going on is there's a culture out there who is lost and going to hell. And the righteous have got to live righteously if they're going to listen to us and if we're going to be authentic and real before their eyes. Amen? So, so ladies, ladies, settle your disagreement. And then he goes on and says, And I ask you, my brother, to help these two women. 
Now, we're not even sure who the, my true partner is. We're not even sure. We don't know if it's the whole church. We don't know if it's someone that Paul uh, had enlisted. We don't know. But the bottom line is, my true partner helped these two women. And you know what? When there's a disagreement going on, where there's two men, two women, whatever it is, don't be a pot stirrer. Don't make it worse. Make it better. Make it better. Seek peace. Seek peace. You don't need to take sides. Seek peace. Well, hey, listen to these. Again, look how it happens. Because these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked alongside Clementi and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, what, what grabs your attention? Does anything grab your attention? You know, these ladies were strong believers. Angie, they were strong believers. They weren't yahoos. They weren't spiritual yahoos. They were strong believers, and yet they're caught up in a disagreement to the point where it's recorded in God's Word. Come on, settle your hearts down. And these were hard work. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Do you think while the fight was going on, they were still hard workers? Uh, That would be no. You know why? Because all their energy and all their emotions are directed toward each other and not winning others to Jesus. That's a good place for an amen. Churches across America report no baptisms. No baptisms. No baptisms. You know why? Their energy is not rejected or it's not reflected to the lost. It's reflected on each other. So, James continues. He goes, you desire, you want, and you do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. And for whatever reason, too often in Christian marriages and in Christian churches, war is declared. And war over nothing. You know, the, the, the crazy thing about the Vietnam War is there's great debate about really what was it all about. It's coming out now, uh, some of the government inside stuff is coming out and raging. All the men who died there, what was all that about? Well, you know what? There's a lot of fighting that goes on in Christian marriages and Christian churches, and you wonder what in the world was it about? You know, it's no accident that there's a first, second, third Baptist church in towns. It wasn't a mission endeavor. Chances are somebody got mad and... And started another church. You did hear about the guy on the island, didn't you? Yeah, he got stuck on the island. And they finally found him. And so they come and rescue him. And they said, well, let me show you what I've done while I've been here. This is my house, you know. Over here is my grocery store. And that's my church. And they said, what's that building over there? Oh, he goes, well, that's the church I used to go to before I got mad. Thank you. I appreciate you laughing. That was a real gamble. Okay. All right. So you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and contain. You fight and you wage war. Now, here's the deal. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, now notice what it says there in, in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have. Okay. Verse 2, the second part. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's the deal. When you're warring, you're not praying. If you are praying, you're praying wrongly. Okay? When you're warring, you're not praying. And if you are praying, 
you're praying wrongly. He says that. He goes, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So he says, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Okay? So this warring thing is a very expensive endeavor. Okay? It kills your prayer life. You know, Paul said to the husbands, you know, make it right with your wives so that your prayers won't be hindered. So your prayers won't be hindered. So he goes on. Now he gets really gruff. In verse number 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world... Now, that's the world system, okay? The world values, okay? Don't you know that friendship with the world system is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Okay, this is huge. James is saying, when we are warring with one another, okay, when, when it's all about us, and I'm going to fight for my rights, I'm going to fight for my privilege, when it's all about us, then don't you know we're acting like we're committing adultery? Not with another person, but with the world. And he goes on and says, you know, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? This is where I had this morning, where I threw that out this morning about tonight's message. You know, God doesn't want to be our number one. He wants to be our only one. God doesn't want to be our number one. He wants to be our only one. And then when we act like the world and live like the world, then we're living like a guy who's got a girl on the side. And I'm going to tell you something about girls on the side. If you're married with a girl on the side, it doesn't go well. Amen? You know, God it wants to be our only one in the world. Now, now, I ask this question. What are signs of an inappropriate relationship? So, so if you saw someone in the church or at a restaurant or where you work, and you knew they were married, what would be some things that might lead you to think that of an inappropriate relationship? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a few. Um, when, when the person walks into the room and their eyes light up, and it's not their wife, it's another person, or it's not their husband, it's another person, that's a sign of an inappropriate relationship. When you check their phone and there's a lot of text or phone calls, that's a sign of an inappropriate uh, relationship. When two people who are not married to each other spend a whole lot of time together, that's a sign of an inappropriate relationship. When you find yourself looking forward to spending time with that person more than you're looking forward to spending time with the person you're married to, that's an inappropriate relationship. Okay? Now you say, well, why would you tell us that? Because I wanted you to think about this. Now, what signs are in your life that there might be an inappropriate relationship between you and the world? Between you and the world. What signs are in your life right now tonight that would point to an inappropriate relationship with the world. Does your face light up when you think about the sins of the world? Do you look forward to spending time, more time, with the things of the world than the things of God? Does your checkbook and calendar and everything else reflect that you love the world more than you love God? Those are all very, very important questions. And James says, it's adultery. It's adultery. I'm telling you this, God doesn't want you to have a girlfriend. He does want you to have a girlfriend. In fact, he goes on and says this, No one can serve two masters. You know this scripture. How many times have you heard it quoted? 
No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be a slave to money. You can't. You can't have the world as a girlfriend, okay? Not if you want to be the bride of Christ. You can't have the world as a girlfriend if you want to be the bride of Christ. Well, I would never do this on a Sunday morning, but I want to do it now. There's a song that's called the Breakup Song, sung by Francisco Belliercini. Okay, all right. Okay, and I love it. I love it. Now, now in the song, and you have to listen carefully to words, and Dave will make sure we've got plenty of volume, okay? Um, you have to listen to the song. But in the song, she's breaking up with fear, okay? But I want you, when you hear the words, and it's just good. It's just good, okay? I want you to think about this. Is it time you break up with your girlfriend? Is it time you break up with the world? Is it time for you to break up with anything else that's coming before you and God? So, Dave, would you play that, please? Sick and tired of being sick and tired Had as much of you as I can take I'm so done, so over being afraid I've gone through the motions, I've been back and forth I know that you're thinking So I'm just gonna say it, yeah. Fear you don't own me. There ain't no room in this story. And I ain't got time for you telling me what I'm not. Like you know me, well guess what? I know who I am. I know I'm strong. And I am free. Never saw it coming. Something's gotta give, so I give up you.
church style music. You know, something's got to give, so I give up you. So what is it in your life tonight that's holding you back from God being, being your only one and you need to have the breakup song? And you need to say, whatever it is, blank, you will never be welcome here. That's what needs to happen. We need to sing the breakup song. So the reason why is James chapter 4 verse 5. Do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? In other words, God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. And listen, I wrote it this way. He will not tolerate our love affair with sin and the world. And the reason sometimes, no, the reason we don't give up our sin is because we love our sin more than we love God. And I'm telling you, he's an intensely jealous God. And he will not tolerate a love affair with sin and the world. Like I say, married with a girlfriend on the side never works. But here's the good news. James goes on in verse number 6 and says, But he gives greater grace. Aren't you glad? He gives greater grace. Just what we need. This is that scripture, again, just a piece of it, from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time, when Paul said about this thorn in the flesh, each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me through me. The way to break up is to enjoy God's grace. You know, to enjoy God's wonderful grace. So finally he says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, I used to really, I used to jump on, and I still will jump on it. God resists the proud. You know, God opposes the proud. And, but then I know why now. It's not to push me away, it's to bring me home. He opposes my pride not to push me away, but to bring me home. And he opposes whatever sin it is. Whatever your girlfriend's sin is that you need to break up with, he opposes that because he hates it, okay? But he wants to bring you home. It's the father looking out for the prodigal son. Every day looking for the prodigal son. He wants to welcome you back home. So what do you need to break up with? What is it that's causing this strife in your life? What is it that's causing the envy and jealousy and bitterness and anger in your life? What's your girlfriend? And you need to say, you know, something's got to give and I'm giving up you. You're not welcome here anymore. Now, just for fun, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. The way you get rid of the girlfriend is you strip off every weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. And then he says, and let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now watch, watch. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Again, if you're married tonight and you've got a husband, your eyes should be for him. If you're married and you're a guy, I had to remember which way I was doing it. You have to be careful these days. A guy, then your eyes should only be for her, for your wife. 
Well, as believers in Jesus, and as the bride of Christ, everybody say bride of Christ. As the bride of Christ. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy as a bride walked down the aisle to her groom and she's going, could have had him. Wish I had him. He's better looking. I like him. Wouldn't it be crazy? As the bride of Christ, we should keep our eyes on Jesus. Our eyes should not belong to something else. They should belong to Jesus. I, I was going to read the lyrics, but it's sung by the flamingos, whoever they were. But it goes, I've only got eyes for you. And Frank Sinatra sang it, and the flamingos sang it. But that's the way it ought to be. We should only have eyes for Jesus, okay? And finally, with Romans chapter 7, verse 24, which goes back to that fight, the inner fight. Oh, what a miserable person I am, Paul said. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And the answer is, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You cannot find a better boyfriend than Jesus. You cannot find a better groom. Whatever your girlfriend's offering you, he's better. He's better. He's better. It's worth living for, and he is worth dying for. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing again tonight from your word. And, and Father, I, I, need for the, I want to ask specifically right now um, that the Holy Spirit would help us. Father, I know for a fact that you want to be our only one. And that you will not tolerate an extramarital affair going on in our relationship with you. So Father, I want to ask you through this week, and may it start tonight... But through this week, would you please examine us? The scripture says for you to search us and know us and see if there's any wicked way in us. Would you see if there's something that's competing for our affection for you? Father, there's, there's an extramarital affair going on. There's a, there's a boyfriend-girlfriend inappropriately going on in our lives with our sin. And Father, if it's pride or jealousy or envy, whatever it might be, would we be willing to throw that away? Be willing to give that up. Something's got to give, so I give up you. You will never be welcome here. So throughout this week, as we journey, would you speak to our hearts about that? And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.